Are you in the right investments for a post-coronavirus world? Should you be in resource stocks? How will precious metals perform? Find out right here in today's interviews. We cover all these topics and more. But before we begin, please make sure you click the like button, click the subscribe button, and click the bell. Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we deliver mining insights and bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is Giant Bandari, the founder of Capitalism and Morality, and a highly sought-out advisor to institutional investors. Mr. Bandari, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much for having me, Maurice. Always a pleasure, sir. Giant, there are a lot of mixed, contentious emotions regarding COVID-19. Irrespective of one's position, it's incumbent for us all to prepare for how the world will function going forward. Let's discover who will survive and how you may thrive in a post-coronavirus world. Sir, you recently wrote a musing entitled, What the Post-Coronavirus World Looks Like. In this piece, you outlined a number of distinctions that may create a great divide between East Asia, the West, and Third World countries. From a 30,000-foot perspective, who do you see coming out as winners when the world returns to some aspect of normalcy and why? Thanks, uh, Maurice. Uh, we really need to keep emotions out of business. We have to be attached to objectivity to be able to understand uh, what is the right action to take. Uh, in my view, what I have seen from what I have seen happening in East Asia, uh, East Asia will emerge out as among the most successful place in the world after COVID-19 is over. In fact, uh, you can see that in Taiwan, there were virtually no cases and they cleaned up the place very quickly. Pretty much the same happened with South Korea and uh, Japan and Singapore, Hong Kong suffered a bit, but they took very strong, good, quick actions and got mostly rid of the virus or at least brought it under control in a way that it does not affect their economies much. Uh, and in fact, China went uh, absolutely crazy about it. And it also managed to clean up uh, the virus to a very large extent within China. Now, I am here not worrying about the culpability of China to do with the virus. I'm just talking about the economy. These countries will emerge successful from the virus. Uh, and whether we like China or we don't like Chinese government, and I love China. Uh, I love China for its people and for the changes China has been going through. Uh, what I might not have always an appreciation or respect for is the Chinese government. Uh, but even there, I think it has mostly been a decent government compared to what governments are like in the third world. I think China will emerge perfectly fine. And you and I, the world cannot ignore China. It is among the fastest growing economies in the world. It is the fastest growing major economy. No one can ignore it, not even the US. Some of the businesses should return back to the US, but China will survive and will continue to grow. So I am very keen on investing in East Asia because I see very limited downside risk and a lot of upside because 
a lot of share prices in East Asia has suffered. And a lot of uh, commodity prices have suffered because people have uh, downgraded their expectation of growth in China, which I think is uh, is wrong. Uh, China will continue to grow. It will suffer for a few more months, but it will emerge out successful. Now, uh, the Western countries are uh, countries that are rooted to the concept of liberty and Christianity. uh, And that is why uh, the Western countries have such a strong moral framework. Uh, uh, In fact, East Asia is successful to the extent that it feeds off the moral and rational fabric that the Western countries have put together. Uh, So the West is something which I look up to. That is where civilization is started and expanded to East Asia. So I am uh, quite a lover of the Western society. I'm a lover of Western civilization. Uh, Western civilization, of course, could not heavy-handedly control its people. And maybe the virus uh, spread faster uh, in the West uh, initially, and they had to bring it under control very slowly. Uh, And maybe the virus did not require all that much of control. Uh, Some people had to die anyway. Now, uh, West, I think, will emerge fine, at least from the virus. There are other problems in the West today, but West will emerge out fine. Uh, But remember, Maurice, that uh, the population of the Western society and Eastern society society combined is only about 2.5 billion people. Five billion out of seven and a half billion humanity lives in the third world countries, which is Africa, the Middle East, Indian subcontinent, and Latin America. And these countries, I think, are on rapidly on the path to implosion. There will be continual chaos in the third world countries, uh, partly because of the virus, because these governments have no control over the virus, uh, but also because they have horribly managed, mismanaged everything in the third world. So you can see chaos emerging everywhere in the third world. Uh, and I'm, uh, and I think what I have always believed in, which is that one of these days, Malthus and Darwin will wake up and walk hand in hand to destroy and clean out and kill hundreds of millions of people in the third world. And I'm absolutely sure that will happen within the next few years uh, if it has already not started. So my biggest fear is what is going to happen to 5 billion out of 7.5 billion people. This will be a massive humanitarian crisis never seen in human history. Giant, for someone new to our conversation, what is the distinction between third world economies and emerging economies? So there is nothing like emerging markets. There's only one emerging market, which is China. Uh, Now, uh, Maurice, what happens is that the understanding of China in the Western world is very negative, and that is primarily because of the way China is portrayed in the West. Now, China used to be compared with Uganda and Tanzania or Rwanda 30 years back. Today, China is consistently compared with the U.S., which is where fallacy lies. You have changed the yardstick on how you understand and measure China. China was a third world country, and China has emerged very, very rapidly in the last three decades. China is still not the U.S. It's China will not be the U.S. for the next 30 or 50 or maybe 80 years. Uh, what China is, is that 
it is a rapidly growing society economically growing society and more importantly uh, it is a society that is on a positive path politically socially and culturally and all i care about is whether they are improving or they are not improving and china is improving hence i call china an emerging market the rest of the third world countries have faced continual de- degradation since the time european powers stopped running them now we don't necessarily see it that way because in the last 30 to 40 years economies of the third world latin america africa and india uh, and pakistan and the middle east were growing very rapidly oil prices were booming in the 70s 80s 90s uh, and until recently actually uh, latin america benefited hugely hugely from export of natural resources and so was the case with africa and indian subcontinent benefited hugely from free import of western technology so these were all dependent on external benefits coming for free to these countries and those benefits disappeared about 10 years back uh, the third world economies have been stagnating for most of this decade now after a massive growth uh, between let's say 1999 to year 2010 uh, now these third world countries uh, institutionally have been falling apart consistently since the time european powers gave up leadership of these countries uh, and that degradation of institutions of the third world will start to emerge and become increasingly visible going forward but i think covid 19 has been a catalyst it has actually rapidly changed the curve uh, and it has added a very high factor influencing factor to destroy the third world so these 5 billion people are destroying themselves very rapidly right now and i don't think there's much time left for these third world countries to fall apart and implode giant as you were speaking my mind was reflecting on a conversation we had about 2 years ago uh, where you made the distinction on the third world economies how the individuals there still do not understand the concept of the wheel as they carry items on their head and also you had shared that they still do not have lead piping which was introduced over 2000 years ago by the romans uh, the reality maurice is that you can travel and i'm currently in india as i told you um, i you can go and travel around in india or you can travel around in africa and you will see something very funny consistently particularly if you pay attention uh, girls and women girls in school uniforms girls who are educated so called educated carry pots of water on their head Um, now you have to understand that despite that they have been so called educated they don't really get the concept of wheel they can draw a wheel they can see a wheel but they don't really understand how to use put that wheel into action how to use that wheel to improve their lives and that is why technology might be in front of them smartphones might be in front of them internet might be in front of them but if you all you do is to watch pornography or exchange superstitions with each other which is what these third world countries people do you are not going to wake up you are not going to get enlightened uh, and that is where the biggest problem is education prosperity and technology isn't helping these people it is actually be- these things are becoming and have become tools for these people to uh, uh, 
impose their tribal ways, uh, tribal worldviews on other people. So these, all these good things that have existed in the West are being used to for rapid regression in the third world countries. But most of the people don't really understand it. They think prosperity and education is a good thing. It's actually doing a huge amount of damage to the third world, uh, and uh, but which had to happen. It's just hastening the process. And I think that process is going to hasten very quite a bit because of this COVID-19 acting as a catalyst. In my experience, far too often, investors slash speculators are only bean counters and they only look at the, the numbers and oftentimes overlook the significant role that the intangibles and other mitigating factors play in their investment thesis. How do cultures and value systems fit into the narrative? Well, uh, listen, uh, the most of the world outside the Western society was tribal. We were living like animals before the Western people started exporting their culture, religion, and technology to the third world. So now, yes, I can uh, always pinpoint and find uh, deficiency in the Western society and how they ex might have exploited, uh, let's say, the natural resources of Africa. But Africans did not even know that there was copper to be found in that uh, rock. Uh, they had no such concept. They don't did not have the concept of tools. They did not really have the concept of uh, uh, written language. So uh, we can uh, isolate, uh, nothing is perfect, Maurice, so we can still isolate some of the bad things Europeans did, and I'm sure they did a lot of bad things. But overall, the influence of Western society on the third world was massively positive. It converted what were actually people who were behaving like animals because they did not really have a civilization. There was no institutions or a structure in these societies. Europeans brought in the concept of civilization to these societies in the third world. So uh, that is how important culture is. Culture enables two important things. It uh, uh, enables accumulation of capital and it enables accumulation of knowledge and information. Uh, and uh, both of these things are the legs on which civilization stands uh, and without which you can't have capital, you can't have companies, you can't have progress, either intellectual or capital. And if you don't have those, those cultural bases, everything that Europeans left away in the third world countries will fall apart. And you can actually go to the institutions and buildings in the third world. They are always everywhere in the third world falling apart. You can cons give them the best airports and the best railway station. And within six months, you will see paints uh, peeling off bricks coming out of the uh, of the walls so that is where culture is very important things tend to fall apart if you don't have the right culture conducive to capitalism conducive to civilization conducive to accumulation of capital and conducive to accumulation of information knowledge and philosophy what are some key distinctions that are creating the demise of the west uh, well, statistically, Maurice, uh, the biggest problem uh, has been that people of non-European origin, and that is statistically, uh, and we can go into the depths of why this has been the case, uh, but statistically, people of non-European origin, particularly females and colored and black people, Hispanic people, they tend to vote for 
a nanny state. They tend to vote for a big government. Uh, and that goes against the Christian values that were the basis of Western civilization that goes against liberty, that goes against self-respect and self-responsibility, uh, that goes against this culture. Um, Western civilization goes against this culture of whining and grievances and dependency that has taken hold increasingly among the underclass in the Western society. Now, here is the problem, uh, Maurice. And again, I'm talking statistically, uh, very rapidly, uh, 50% of the U.S. is becoming people from non-European origin, and they, as a result, have a very high democratic influence on who runs America. Uh, and unfortunately, as I just said, they tend to vote for a nanny government. They tend to vote for the Democratic, Democrat uh, Party, the leftist people. And as a result, um, Western society, particularly the U.S., will very rapidly become a leftist uh, so, society once Trump is gone. My wife and I are both immigrants, and it's funny how the family members and friends that we have that lean to the left, their vocabulary is completely different than our vocabulary. Uh, we're proud libertarians and Christians, but their vocabulary on the left is, when am I getting my check? And they're bragging about receiving something for nothing. And not realizing the long-term consequences. And unfortunately, they're going to be rewarded again for doing nothing. And many of you may be saying to yourself, well, I can't work. How can I do something? The reality is your creative juices should be flowing right now. And you should be trying to create utility. Because trust me, there's something that you can do that can benefit others and benefit you financially in a constructive way. And only in the United States, and this is another discussion my wife and I were having again prior to this interview, well, you see someone that is obese, meaning they consume more calories than they burn, begging for food. And I feel so, these people should be ashamed, really, Maurice. Uh, and I know there are people with uh, disabilities or people who have a natural reason to be obese, unfit, or being unable to work. Uh, but uh, a lot of people like me, and uh, that includes me, my partner, a lot of friends I have known in America, they came to America without any money. They came almost with their, clo with their clothes on and nothing much else. And that's what happened with me. And America is such a generous society. America is so open-minded. It enables people to become rich very quickly. And all the people I have known who immigrated to America or moved to America to work very soon had their own houses and used to started driving cars, had decent jobs. And they had jobs which they enjoyed and jobs where they were respected. Uh, so, uh, any American who failed to make uh, a good life of his own uh, and instilled in his children a culture of grievances and whining is such a loser. And I feel so envious for him because were I given his place, I would not have lost uh, a couple of decades of, of my life trying to find my way to reach the West, uh, which they did not have to worry about. And they still missed that boat. Prior to our interview, you made a statement that I thought was really profound. And you stated, when you change your heroes, you change your behavior. 
There's so much truth in that statement. Can you expand on that for us? So, Maurice, uh, what has happened, uh, and we were talking about, of course, before we you started recording about uh, colored people, and uh, that applies to you and my communities. Uh, the, the colored people have developed this concept of grievances and the concept of whining and getting free stuff. Uh, and, uh, and the reason, one of the big reasons is that uh, colored people have started to look up to people who advocate uh, giving out free stuff. Uh, let's say people like Alexandria Cozia cortez uh, or um, a couple of other uh, uh, very ultra-leftist politicians that have become uh, very visible in the U.S., uh, political space uh, recently. Uh, now, uh, if I needed, if if I wanted to have a colored person as my hero, uh, and I don't need colored person as my hero, my heroes are people like Doug Casey, Rick Rule. These are the people, Adrian Day, these are the people I look up to. Um, and I have Bob Moriarty. Uh, these are the people, yeah, I mean, these are these are the people I look up to. Lou Rockwell, um, a lot of them are white people. I am uh, racially blind. I don't care about which color they come from. What I care about is whether they are rational, uh, enlightened, good people. And I want to follow them. And I want to learn as much as possible from them. Now, um, so, uh, and Stephen Cox is another one of the great guy people I have got to know for the last 15 years. So I can name people and a lot of those are white people and I don't care which uh, society they come from, which uh, racial group they come from. And we were, before you started recording, uh, we were talking about uh, a writer uh, known as Booker T. Washington. And everyone should read his book called Up From Slavery. And now he existed during the Civil War time. Uh, and it's a beautiful book. And uh, he his book is about uh, developing a concept of self-responsibility, a, a concept of being proud among the black communities. Uh, and he actually achieved a lot. He he earned respect of white people. He earned respect uh, of uh, white people within uh, and around his community. And eventually he even tried to help the underclass Europeans living around him. Uh, and that is the kind of heroes, if I really wanted to have a black hero, and again, for me, it does not matter. He is my hero because he's a, he was a great guy. So everyone should read his book, Up From Slavery, and the name of the writer is Booker T. Washington. Speaking of Booker T. Washington, I like to share an intellectual exercise I've been conducting probably now for 10 years, and I know that our silver stackers will appreciate this, but whenever I'm at a social event, I uh, ask the following question. Do you believe that President Obama should be the first African-American on a coin? And I ask this making sure that there's always a black person and a white person. And in my experience in the 10 years, it's been a resounding yes by the black and a resigning no by the white. And you could see the nonverbals as well. After the question is posed and they both give their answers, their nonverbals change. There's some tension in the air. I don't care if we were talking about angels and the color pink was all, all around us. There, there's some tension in the air. And I share with them, your opinions have no bearing on the outcome of the correct answer. I reach into my pocket and I grab a 50-cent piece minted in 1946. It has Booker T. Washington on it. 
This is a 90% silver coin, no different than a Kennedy 50 cent piece. And I share with them that no matter how passionate you feel about it, it's already been done. And the reason it was done was to stop the spread of communism in the African-American community. And by the way, Booker T. Washington was also on the second coin minted with an African-American by the name of George Washington Carver. Again, a 50 cent piece, 90% uh, silver. But I also share with them that I was not born a U.S. citizen. So English is not my first language. But I do know that President Obama was biracial just like I am. So therefore, he could never be the first African-American minted on a coin. And Maurice, this is so sad that uh, despite that he was actually a very popular guy, he is no longer remembered. It seems no longer remembered by the black community and the rest of the American people. Uh, and uh, he should be one of our heroes. But carry on. Which is really unfortunate because the left was inspired and influenced by a gentleman who was his nemesis, uh, Booker T's nemesis, and that would be W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, in my opinion, he was the founder of the NAACP. What a lot of people in the black community don't realize about uh, W.E.B. Du Bois was that he was also a uh, communist. So both of them realized there were wrongs done by slavery, but took two completely juxtaposed positions. And one has been embraced by the black community, and it was the influence, again, of, of W.E.B. Du Bois. But uh, to me, my hero is uh, Booker T. Washington. All right, let's get back on track here. You referenced in your musing the need for order. Can you expand on that for us? And is that the same as being controlled by Big Brother? Uh, well, the last thing you want to have is order brought in by the Big Brother because the moment you have top-down order, there might be order, but the problem is there will be huge systemic risks because of two reasons. Firstly, the guy at the very top does not really understand what is ha happening at the ground level. So he does not really know what is happening at the ground level and cannot really define policies to control, keep order in the society. Also, at the same time, people become, people in such a society act like children because they have someone else always telling them how to live. Uh, as a result, the combination of these two things create a very um, infantile society where people have no sense of responsibility. And as a result, this creates a massive systemic risk in the society. So my, so what I don't want is top-down top down order. What I want is bottom-up order and order within an individual and within an individual requires uh, if if uh, for a lack of word domesticating that individual making that person understand the concept of civilization and that was an order that was brought in by uh, among many other things uh, christianity uh, now i am not a christian maurice i am an atheist but i truly understand the huge value christianity provides uh, as one of the most important legs for the western society so it is a self imposed order that you accept you accept the concept of integrity you accept 
respect for the other people you accept uh, doing charity for the people who need to be helped uh, and these are the costs, concepts which are uniquely christian so this is the kind of order that i am interested in uh, a bottom up order where an individual is self responsible he f- he does not have the culture of whining and grievances uh, and uh, he does not impose himself on other people uh, so that is the order i want uh, not top-down order. If East Asia looks to be the primary beneficiary of a post-COVID-19 era, how can someone listening benefit financially? There are a lot of emotions in the market, Maurice, right now, which means there's a huge amount of volatility in the market. Uh, If you understand what that volatility means and how you can exploit that volatility, you can actually buy something when it is very cheap uh, and uh, get an extra upside from that huge volatility. Um, So that is where East Asia comes into picture. A lot of East East Asian stocks have suffered. Now, uh, there is, of course, a problem. You have to be very nuanced in your thinking because you don't know what bank uh, balance sheets will look like. You don't know uh, how if easy it will be for Chinese clothes manufacturers to be able to export to the U.S. in the near future. So you have to be aware of some of those things. Uh, but this volatility, this fall in the stock prices actually might be beneficial for you in getting an extra upside. Now, you have to remember that uh, a lot of his stocks have bounced back over the last one month. So uh, if I had to buy something I would just want to keep an eye on good companies and wait for another fall in stock prices to exploit that uh, volatility again. Many of our audience members are active participants in resource stocks. Sir, how will the resource space respond for investors in a post-coronavirus world? So, Maurice, it's a very interesting question because I just told you that it's, uh, it's for now, it is difficult to know what banking, uh, bank uh, balance sheets or Uh, exporter uh, balance sheets will look like because we don't know what the trade situation between China and US will be like. So the more uh, uh, more upstream you go in terms of uh, what a company makes, the better it will be for you because you have a the 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 more uh, you are closer to commodities, the more you, the better your understanding of the cost and revenue is. Uh, For example, uh, oil, gas, uh, mining companies, uh, base metals, gold, silver, with these, you know exactly what the revenue will be, what your production would be, and what your costs would be, because you know what costs go into these uh, these industries. As a result, the high, the more upstream you are, the better off you will be uh, in valuing these companies. And you can hedge yourself. You can play with the futures. Uh, so as a result, I don't uh, always uh, advocate investing in mining companies. But I think commodity businesses are going to be at a huge advantage because you are much better able to value these companies in the current scenario. Giant, you're a highly regarded name in the natural resource space as you consult with institutional investors on unique value propositions. Can you share some golden nuggets that you see as buying opportunities right now? 
Uh, sure. Uh, uh, Maurice, uh, just be mindful of the fact that uh, some of these stocks have gone up over the last one, three weeks or so. Uh, and I would not be surprised if they fall. So I would only give uh, limit orders and I would give a stink orders actually, just to get as much benefit from volatility, which I think will continue to happen over the next few months. So let me give you uh, maybe three or four companies. One is Anaconda Mining. Uh, they, I think, came out with a good uh, quarterly. It's, it's trading around 25 cents. I wouldn't bid for it at higher than that. I think it's a good company. It's based in Canada, which in my view is a safe jurisdiction. And from what I know, the mine continues to run and continues to uh, spit out a good cash flow. Uh, there is uh, another company, O3 Mining, a company I've mentioned to you a few times. It has gone up quite a bit from $1.10 to $2.50 recently. Uh, but I still think it has a very good upside. Uh, I would bid for it around $2 or less to see if I can uh, get those that company. Uh, there's another company called Mirasol, um, and the ticker is MRZ. Um, uh, it's trading around 40 cents. I would wait for it to fall to maybe about 35 cents. I know there are a lot of sellers because this company has everything in Latin America. But if you buy it below 35 cents, you, are, you will be buying it for cash value. So again, Anaconda Mining, ticker is ANX, Mirasol is MRZ, and O3 ticker is OIII. It goes without saying you're also the most respected name when it comes to arbitrage opportunities. I still remember your call on Sunridge Gold. That went up over 600% in less than three months. Uh, do you have any arbitrage opportunities to share with us? Uh, absolutely, uh, Maurice. And arbitrage opportunities are some of the most basic ways to make money. We should just keep ourselves limited to what we understand. So arbitrage requires very simple math. Um, Tathian Resources, uh, it's traded in Canada. The ticker is TETH, is being acquired by an Australian company. Um, so if you buy Tethian, which offers you about 20% arbitrage upside at the current price of 15 cent Canadian, um, you not only have an arbitrage op opportunity, but the company that is acquiring it actually is a very well-run company from what I know, and it's actually has a very good upside as well. So uh, have a look at Tathian Resources, TETH, uh, 15 cent Canadian. But remember that these shares will convert into Australian or London stocks after the merger is over. So you should have an account with a brokerage like Interactive Brokers where your shares can automatically convert to ASX or London-based stocks without a fee. And you, could, you can then sell those stocks uh, at a reasonable commission uh, not at uh, a very high commission if you hold the, this company in, let's say, TD or Scotia Bank. Moving on to physical precious metals, from a scale of 1 to 10, and 10 meaning the highest, what number would you assign to owning physical precious metals right now? Uh, as I said uh, just a while back, uh, Maurice, that mining and commodity businesses, the higher, the more upstream you are, the safer you are in terms of valuation because you know what is going in and what is coming out much better than when you get into very complex businesses, let's say like Apple uh, cell phones 
or banks or clothes manufacturer because you don't really understand what costs and revenue will look like and whether you can sell or not. So the, uh, the more upstream you are, the better off you are. Uh, and hence, mining and commodity businesses are very good for me. But also, if you can actually own commodities, you are even better grounded to valuation, solid valuation. And that is where I think it's extremely important to own uh, a, a good part of your net worth, let's say 10 to 20% in commodities. Uh, now, the easiest commodities are precious metals, which is gold and silver, uh, platinum and palladium. And uh, if I could buy um, uh, these when the prices have uh, are good, uh, I would certainly want to accumulate more of these. So uh, you said uh, give points between one to 10, and I would get give 10 the highest points to owning physical commodities and physical precious metals. What financial words of wisdom would you like to impart for someone that does not own precious metals? Um, so the higher, the more downstream you go, Maurice, the more you are in abstraction for now, because the economic structure of the world is going to change uh, and has already changed. Uh, now, this is not necessarily because of COVID-19. It is more because of the some of the crazy and I would say stupid decisions several governments have taken. This has created an economic chaos around the world. Uh, and the more grounded you are to value in these days, the better off you will be. At least you will get uh, a peaceful sleep. Uh, and also you are more likely to protect your savings. Maybe you won't make a lot of money, but my guess is that you will actually make money in gold and silver. So yes, uh, it's extremely important to be invested in commodities, but also uh, if you understand the higher, more of downstream businesses like banks or clothes manufacturer, then go for it. I invest in Singapore, Hong Kong, and China, and I, I know the risks I'm taking. Uh, so I will continue to invest in them. But if you don't know a lot about investing, then precious metals and commodities is actually a, an extremely safe way to protect your savings. Now, remember, Maurice, uh, you historically people have invested a lot in uh, properties. Uh, do you really know the value of your properties these days? I guarantee you, you don't, because you don't know how many Chinese will be buying new apartments in San Francisco and Vancouver. Uh, so would the property prices fall? I think they should anyway, but uh, property prices have gone up quite a bit. So that's not uh, what I'm going to put my money in, unless again, if I understood property business very well, which I don't. So commodity and precious metals are actually across the board, very safe ways to protect your savings. And because they are safe ways, a lot of people will be buying these in the near future. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I get this question asked all the time, so let me clear the air on it right now. Maurice, do you buy and sell physical precious metals? The answer is yes, through Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. Check the description box below and you'll find out all the contact details. Now back to the interview. Now, let's discuss a topic that is germane to all of the aforementioned yet never discussed, it seems, on any other financial platform, and that is philosophy. Mr. Bandari, how does philosophy fit into today's discussion? For me, the most important thing is the foundations, and the foundations is uh, why we have a civilization, why we are no longer animals, is 
because of uh, culture, because we are able to think for the future, we can accumulate uh, knowledge, information, we can plan for tomorrow. Uh, and as a result, philosophy is very important because philosophy and reasoning allows us to add value as we go forward. Uh, and so for me, that is the cornerstone. That is the foundations of everything. Uh, a lot. Some people tell me that I should focus on investing and not worry about philosophy. Uh, but uh, for me, what is not seen, what is the foundations is the most important. So you're the founder of a philosophical forum focused on reason, argumentation, and liberty. Please introduce us to capitalism and morality. Uh, I have been running this seminar in Vancouver, Canada for the last uh, 10, 11 years now. This is a one-day uh, philosophy seminar in which, which people like Doug Casey, Adrian Day, Rick Rule, a lot of people I like, uh, Jeff Deist of Mises Institute, Walter Block, a lot of these people have spoken in the past and they continue to come and speak in that, that uh, seminar. Uh, it is a very enlightening seminar in my view. Uh, I do it every summer. The next one will be on 25th of July, 2020 in downtown Vancouver. Subject, of course, to the fact that people uh, by that time are allowed to travel between the U.S. and Canada. In closing, sir, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about? Uh, well, uh, right now, uh, Maurice, uh, uh, I am stuck in India and I've been here for the last two months because of uh, an atrocious lockdown that Narendra Modi has enforced in this country. Uh, it has created a massive, massive humanitarian crisis, which I think will lead to deaths of millions of people. And it will probably create a massive amount of chaos in this country. And as I said earlier, uh, there will very likely be no recovery ever now. These countries will implode and fall apart. Uh, disease and uh, virus will uh, have a field day in this country. So I feel very bad about what I'm seeing with my eyes. Uh, uh, so unfortunately, uh, I feel sad for the people uh, who are suffering because of horrible leadership that these countries have. Mr. Bandari, last question. What did I forget to ask? Well, I think we have talked about uh, a lot of things, uh, Maurice. I have. Uh, I, I still hope I can uh, run my seminar on 25th of July, 2020 in Vancouver, subject to the fact that uh, travel between the U.S. and Canada opens up. Giant, for someone listening that wants to learn more about your work in capitalism and morality, please share the website address. Uh, my website is jayantpandari.com and they can go to a tab called Capitalism and Morality where they can watch uh, speeches of the last 10 years, 10, 11 years, and they can also register for this year's seminar. And as a reminder, I'm a licensed representative to buy and sell physical precious metals through Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. We have a number of options to expand your precious metals portfolio from physical delivery, offshore depositories, and precious metal IRAs. Call me directly at 855-505-1900. That number again is 855-505-1900. Or you may email maurice at milesfranklin.com. Finally, please subscribe to provenandprobable.com where we provide mining insights and bullion sales. Subscription is free. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy,
completeness or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.